Today the scripture reading is again from John chapter 7 verses 1 to 24. After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of booths was at hand. So his brothers said to him, Leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples also may see the works you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers believed in him. Jesus said to them, My time has not yet come, but your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me, because I testify about it, that its works are evil. You go up to the feast. I am not going up to this feast, for my time has not yet fully come. After saying this, he remained in Galilee. But after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up, not publicly, but in private. The Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, Where is he? And there was much muttering about him among the people. While some said, He is a good man, others said, No, he is leading the people astray. Yet for fear of the Jews, no one spoke open, openly of him. About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, How is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? So Jesus answered them, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. Has not Moses given you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Why do you seek to kill me? The crowd answered, You have a demon. Who is seeking to kill you? Jesus answered them, I did one work, and you all marvel at it. Moses gave you circumcision, not that it is from Moses, but from the fathers. And you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision, so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me, because on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well? Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather to, and study your word. And we ask for your wisdom and guidance to understand the message that you have for us today. We pray that our hearts and minds will be open to receive your truth and that your Holy Spirit will speak to us as we reflect on the life and the teachings of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. In the previous uh, passage, in the previous chapters of John, we see Jesus performing various miracles, such as turning water into wine, healing the official son, healing the lame man at the Bethesda pool, and feeding a multitude. 
Through these miracles, Jesus revealed his authority and his divine power. And many people believed, or many people begin to believe in him. However, not everyone was convinced of Jesus' authority. The religious leaders were particularly skeptical of his teachings and of his miracles. And they questioned his authority and accused him of blasphemy. And furthermore, in chapter 6, verse 66, you are not going to forget this verse, 6, verse 66, we find that even, even many of his disciples stopped following him. And as we enter into chapter 7, we see Jesus facing even greater challenges and opposition than before. The conflict between Jesus, the religious uh, leaders, and his disciples who abandoned him has escalated to the point where there is now a plot to kill Jesus. And that's what we are hearing in verse 1. We read that Jesus was avoiding, avoiding Judea because of the threat to his life. But the opposition that Jesus faced was not limited to those outside of his inner circle. In verse 5, we read that even his own brothers did not believe in him. They want him to go to Jerusalem to prove himself if he was truly the Messiah. So you see, it's like everybody... Everybody, and that's the picture that John is presenting in chapter 7. Everybody was against Jesus. And the issue at hand with Jesus' brothers is that they wanted to be his campaign managers. Their suggestion to go to Jerusalem for the Feast of Booths, or called the Feast of Tabernacles, was centered around gaining publicity for him. And of course, reputation for them. Imagine being the brothers of the king. So they were saying to Jesus, go perform miracles in Jerusalem during the best feast in town. That is the Feast of Tabernacles. Tabernacles. There you will gain the reputation that you did. In Galilee, you will not, Galilee will not lead you to any succeed. Going around those places are not going to lead you to a good campaign for yourself. Go to Jerusalem to the Feast of Tabernacles. That is the right place. That is the right moment. And you are the right person. To stay anonymous if you want to be known. 
Go to the feast and show yourself. Sounds like a, a, a presidential campaign, eh? The Feast of Tabernacles was a big deal for the Jewish people because it celebrated God's provision for the Israelites in the wilderness and also looked forward for the coming Messiah. So you see, they were saying, Jesus, the celebration of Tabernacles, the celebration of the coming Messiah... There we have all the stars aligning to you, Jesus. Jesus' brothers suggested that this celebration was the best time for him to show himself to the world. What they didn't know was that Jesus' plan to make himself known to the world was not at the feast of tabernacles, but at the feast of Passover. Because the feast of Passover represented sacrifice, substitution, suffering, and the payment for a sin. Think for a moment. The Israelites were saved from death by sacrificing a lamb and putting its blood on their doorposts. Passover had to happen before the Feast of Tabernacles. The Passover was typically celebrated in the spring before the Feast of Tabernacles, which occurs in the fall. This timing is important because it represents the cycle of the agriculture season in Israel. The Passover coincided with the start of the barley harvest, and the Feast of Tabernacles marked the end of the harvest season. So think for a moment. They wanted to make Jesus as their king and Messiah at the end of the season. But Jesus told them, no pain, no gain. In order for you to have a real celebration of the tabernacle, in order for you to have the kingdom of peace and prosperity, abundance and liberty, there must be a Passover sacrifice. Beautiful, eh? The only way for you to escape from the judgment of sin is that someone needs to pay first. Then you can celebrate. Not before. 
Jesus' brothers were advising him to become a king without addressing the issue of sin. We see a parallel well when the people were requesting miracles and blessings from Jesus without acknowledging their need for forgiveness. Just as Jesus' brothers were focused on worldly power and success, the people were seeking immediate gratification and material wealth. Yes, we want the wine, we want the bread, and the fish, and the healing, and reputation. But don't talk about forgiveness. Don't talk about sin. Don't talk about a price to be paid for sin. But Jesus had a greater purpose. That's why he came. He knew that their ultimate need, ultimate need was not for miracles or prosperity, but for forgiveness and therefore salvation. And this is why he often emphasized the importance of repentance and the forgiveness of sin in his teachings. Read the Gospels and you will find that he will always point to repentance and the forgiveness of sins. But the problem is that nobody wants to hear about sin. Nobody wants to hear about forgiveness. Judgment is not a popular topic, not even in the church. Nobody wants to hear about repentance. Everybody wants to celebrate, but no one wants to pay the price. And that's why Jesus came. He was telling them, the message of the gospel is that I came to pay the price of your sins so then you can celebrate. In the gospel of Matthew, this is an, an example, Jesus told his disciples that he will go to Jerusalem. He was prophesying to his disciples that he would go to Jerusalem suffer and be killed and raised again in three days. Do you remember that passage? But Peter, as always, it says literally, it says Peter rebuked Jesus. This shall never happen to you, Jesus. What do you mean to suffer? To crucify, to die and to rise again? This shall never happen to you. But Jesus told him to stop focusing on human things rather than God's plan. Don't be a hindrance for me. And he called him Satan in the same passage, right? Apart from me, Satan. They wanted a king. They wanted a messiah. And they wanted to have a celebration, but they were not willing to change their personal lives or lifestyles. They want to keep everything as normal as we can, 
but we need you to go to Jerusalem. Show yourself there. That's your moment. And when we consider the teachings of Jesus in this passage, we realize that our modern world is similar to the world in which Jesus lived. Like the people of his time, we can become so we can become so focused on our desires for power, for success, and possessions that, that, that we forgot our spiritual need. Jesus reminds us that God's priorities are different from the world's priorities. And that's what he responds to, to them in the following verses. My time has not yet come. That's what Jesus told him when he was asked to go to Jerusalem. And he told him, my time has not yet come. The time of my glory in this first coming that I am here is not yet come. But, he told them, your time is always here. My time is no time. I am from the eternity to the eternity. And I am here with a plan and with a purpose. But your time is always here. You have an opportunity now. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify against it that its works are evil. Because I testify that you need forgiveness of your evil works. That is why the world, the world hates me. This is Jesus' priority, to point to the problem of evil and give the remedy at the same time. And that's why they wanted to kill him. And in the following verses, we see Jesus demonstrating this principle, principle by attending to the Feast of Tabernacles, but not in the way his brothers had suggested. Notice, Jesus remained in Galilee until his brothers left to the feast. I don't need you with me. You have other intentions, and I have no plan to become your king. My time has not yet come. Jesus remained in Galilee until his brothers left for the feast. And then he went up in private. Now we understand why he did that, right? This shows that Jesus was not opposed to attending the feast, but he was focused on God's plans rather than seeking glory for himself. And when Jesus arrived in Jerusalem, 
It was clear that everyone was looking for him. News of his miracles in Galilee had already reached the city and people were eagerly anticipating his appearance at the feast. These men must be our king and our messiah. And in a sense, they were right. But they were wrong with the time. The crowd was eager for some excitement while the religious authorities were planning to end his life. And at that time, the public opinion has mixed opinions about him. Some thought highly of him, while others believed he was leading people in the wrong direction. And that's what we read in verse 12. And there was much muttering about him among the people. While some said, he's a good man, others said, nah, he's leading the people astray. And this is a common pattern when it comes to Jesus, even to this day, don't you think? People have a range of attitudes, a range of responses, a range of perspectives about him. People enjoy debating and discussing his divinity and his authority. However, very few actually move beyond talking about Jesus and truly believing in him for their salvation. It still happened till this day. And if you notice in our text, it says that in Jerusalem, people refrain from publicly supporting Jesus out of fear to the Jews, Jewish authorities. No one spoke openly about him. Are you with Jesus? Mm. Right? But, in verse 14 is, is this beautiful part. About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up to the temple and began teaching I like this part because we are not told the content of Jesus' teachings, but rather the emphasis is on the reaction of the people who encounter him face to face. Rather than describing the specifics of what Jesus taught, this text focuses on the ways in which his presence and actions provoke various responses from those around him. That is the purpose of these 24 verses. The reaction of the people when they faced Jesus. How they responded to him, 
how they reacted in front of him. And dear friends, as readers, we must take a moment to reflect on our own responses and reactions towards Jesus as well. This passage highlights the diverse range of reactions that Jesus can provoke from awe and admiration to skepticism and hostility. It suggests that encountering Jesus is a deeply personal and sometimes a challenging experience. In other words, encountering with Jesus can be risky. Depends on how you react. Look at the reaction of the leaders. In verse 15, the Jews therefore marveled, saying, how is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? That's the, re that, that's the reaction of the leaders, right? Some were afraid to speak openly. Some were saying that he was a good man. Some were saying, oh, he's leading astray the people. And these people were saying, who is this man? The scribes and Pharisees were shocked that someone who had not gone through their educational system could teach, the, could teach them from the scripture with such authority. They were amazed. I mean, we have been studying all our life, and this come, 32 years old. Who is he? Jesus was a carpenter, carpenter's son from Galilee and had no formal education or letters of recommendations. Yet he was able to teach better than the priest and the scribes. And what was, what was the reason for his exceptional authority, authoritative teaching ability? And he said to himself in verse 16, My teachings are not mine, but... He's who sent me. He emphasized that his teachings didn't come from his personal experiences, education, or insights, but from God himself, because he was telling them, I am the Son of God. And I have complete knowledge of the Father's will. In other words, I am not like you. I am better. 
And so he continued with the same line of thought in John 7, verse 17, chapter 7. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. So he was telling them in front of the teachers, people are smarter. They know who is talking with authority. They know who is right. Can you imagine saying that to the teachers of those days? No wonder why they wanted to kill him. In simpler words, Jesus told them that those who seek truth in which to understand God's will should trust every word he, ex he speaks since they come directly from God. And therefore, if, any, if one aims to know God's will, one should listen carefully to Jesus' voice and follow, follow his teachings. This means that recognizing God's truth is not based on academic knowledge or a theological background, but on a willing heart to know God's will. And where does a willing heart find Jesus' words? Here. In the inspired Word of God, the Bible. If you notice, in the Gospels, you will find two types of people. Those who humbly learn from Jesus and those who argue with Jesus. Those who have the willingness to follow the teachings of Jesus that is the will of God and those who reject the teachings of Jesus. And when studying difficult truth from the Bible, the most important thing is to submit, my dear brothers, to God's word, rather than relying on our own understanding. And this is a way of encouraging the new believers who may struggle with understanding the Bible. The capacity to discern God's message follows when there is a re readiness to do God's will. The capacity to discern God's message follows when there is a readiness to do God's will. 
we must approach the Bible as students, ready to learn from God. There is a pastor called Bruce that he explained this beautifully. And he says, if, if there be a readiness to do the will of God, the capacity to discerning God's message will follow. If you're ready to know God's will, then, so then discerning God's word here will follow. But if we come to this word of God with our own ideas or our own will, we are going to encounter that this doesn't match. And the contrast between those who seek to do God's will and those who do not is evident in the actions of the crowd and the Jewish leaders in these following verses. Despite having the law given by Moses, which all the laws and the writings in the Old Testament points to Jesus, they refuse to follow it. And even they were looking to kill Jesus. A contradiction. They followed the, the law of Moses, but they were trying to kill Jesus. And, and Jesus is the one who highlights this irony. In verse 19, he tells them, when he asked them why they seek to kill him, if Moses had given them the law not to kill. And their disobedience to God's will led them to falsely accuse Jesus of being demon-possessed and to plan a murder. So we cannot argue with you and with your teachings, so we are going to destroy your reputation. You are a demon-possessed. This, this is, again, my dear brothers and sisters, a warning here against hardening our hearts, even to all of us that we know the Holy Scriptures. It is not enough to merely know God's word. We must also actively seek to surrender our will to God's will revealed through the scriptures and then to live out daily what God is asking us to do. Because if we do, if we do not do this, we are at the risk to end up doing what they were doing with Jesus. At the end of this passage, they tried to deny their actions, telling him, you have a demon. Who is seeking to kill you, right? Where did you come with this idea? 
And Jesus answered them in one of the most brilliant ways in the gospel. And I want you to please give me your ear for the last three minutes because I, I am amazed of what Jesus told them in this passage, at the end of this passage. He said, I did one work in verse 21, and you marvel at it. Jesus is responding to criticism from the Jewish people who accuse him of breaking the law of Moses by healing a man on the Sabbath day. Therefore, they wanted to kill him. That was their excuse, right? You heal a man on the Sabbath, so you deserve death. And Jesus told them, your excuse is that I heal on the Sabbath day, right? But you work on the Sabbath day as well. And it's not a big deal for you to work on the Sabbath. And they were like, what are you talking about? We do not work on the Sabbath day. And he told them, you circumcise the boy is on the eighth day. It doesn't matter if it falls on the Sabbath day. So what are we going to do with that? If it's the eighth day and you need to circumcise your boys, you work and circumcise that boy on the Sabbath day. Jesus pointed out that if it was right to follow the law on this matter of circumcision, even on the Sabbath, then healing on the Sabbath should also be correct because both are good works, even if it's on the Sabbath. He told them, I'm not breaking the law, healing on the Sabbath. But you are breaking the law in trying to kill me without a fair trail as the Moses law require. And that's what in language of chess we called checks, checkmate, checksmate, no, checkmate, checkmate. I don't have a microphone, but Jesus would do that. Like, drop the mic. <laughs> Jesus, in this passage, is exposing the deeper itches at play. No, it's not the law of Moses. It's your rejection of me. Because of who I am, I am the Son of God. And I came to reconcile you with God the Father. That is the real issue. Don't you think that this is a masterpiece of passage? 
the authority of Jesus comes from God. And everything he did, he did it in obedience to the Father. And I would like to conclude with the words of God himself saying to us about Jesus. Do you remember the moment of the transfiguration? These were the words of God to all of us. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. He has my authority to point to you your evil works and he has the authority to be the sacrifice, to pay the penalty that you need to pay for your sins. So how are we going to respond? Think about all the, the reactions of people in this passage and ask yourself how I'm going to respond to Jesus in this moment. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this beautiful passage and thank you for the word, Lord, how beautifully you have explained us, Lord, the way of salvation. Help us, Lord, to prioritize our spiritual needs over our worldly desires, just as Jesus did. Remind us that Jesus came to pay the price for our sins and that true celebration can only come through repentance and forgiveness. Help us, Lord, to seek your glory and not our own, your will and not our own, and to always remember that your plans are better than our plans. Your priorities are better than our priorities. And we pray this in the name of Jesus, your beloved Son. Amen. I want to invite you to stay sit uh, during this closing song and to listen to this beautiful song that Carr has prepared for us to meditate on the passage that we have uh, just read. Amen.
Help me seek your kingdom first. As Jesus walked, so I shall walk. Held by your same unchanging love, be still my soul. Oh, lift your voice and pray, Father, not my will, but yours be done.
Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Come for one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Now and forevermore. Amen.